Hello, travelers. This is Paula Schmidt, and welcome to my Theater of the Mind, Evening's Kingdom, where I'm reading installments of my epic fantasy, Evening's Kingdom, and also occasionally interviewing other artists and thinkers. If you're new to the show, you may want to scroll back to the very beginning to hear chapter one. If you're into it, please take a moment to click five stars and leave a review. Let me know what you enjoy doing while you listen in. I absolutely love hearing from you. It means a lot to know the different forms this story is taking as it flies out into the world. Uh, today's episode is a little different. I'm playing around with some questions I'd like to ask other artists, and I thought it would be fun to do a few rounds on myself. <laughs> but first, this episode is brought to you by Regina Kelly Portrait Studios. I absolutely love looking at old photographs and portraits, windows into the past. With locations in Chicago and downtown Charleston, Regina Kelly Studios creates heirloom pieces your loved ones will treasure for generations. Check out reginakelly.com, that's R-E-G-I-N-A-K-E-L-L-Y.com. So my husband and I, we sat for Zarin Cavarana in the downtown location on Lower King Street here in Charleston. It was a complete experience. Really fun. We got a drink at Charleston Place beforehand. We got all dressed up. And so I really do not like being photographed. And invariably, either he or I will be making a weird face or doing something strange in just about all our pictures, uh, which we take on our phones, you know. So before you know it, Years, decades can go by without really putting aside the time and intention to take a really nice photograph together. Having an amazing, gifted portrait photographer guide you through some classic poses, directing you to maybe tilt your head this direction or relax your arm in that way really helped us both to relax, to feel at ease and enjoy the experience knowing we were completely taken care of. Such a treat. And as I mentioned, we had Zaren Kavarana, who was incredibly skilled, very warm, very natural, very intuitive. She totally understood the vibe we were wanting right away, which you can witness via my Instagram at eveningskingdom.com. They will also let you bring in pets, except for cats, or we would definitely have brought in Miss Gita. Zaren put us through a poses quickly enough that everything felt effortless and comfortable. And they cull them really quickly afterwards, just deleting anything where your eyes are closed or whatever. And then they project the best options up on the wall for you to choose from. You can choose from an array of sizes, finishes, and frames for a museum-quality family treasure. We love ours. Check it out on my Instagram, at Evenings Kingdom. It is very us. And it's funny to wonder what will happen to it after we're gone. It's definitely a moment in time. Regina Kelly, that's reginakelly.com in Chicago, in Charleston, South Carolina. Reach out to set up your family's portrait session and enjoy the experience. You will love it. It is a treat from start to finish. Let them know you heard about it here on Evening's Kingdom. All right, so the questions. Ah. Uh, my guest today is me, <laughs> Paula Schmidt. This is Paula Schmidt. And shall we begin? Artistically, what obsesses you? I would say connection. My books tend to feature at least one character with an ability to access the collective subconscious. I was doing this even before I found plant medicine. Um, and once I, which, you know, side note, that helped me really surrender to plant medicine because it felt so strangely familiar, um, the reality beneath the meaning making that our senses can't help but try to concoct. Um, when I was a kid, I, I was called weird and crazy a lot by people who loved me, but just did not understand or did not want to understand me. 
And of course, I wasn't really understanding them at the time either. You know, family and friends, they just wanted to feel safe and comfortable, have a dependable routine. Whereas I love to feel alive and deeply connected to everyone, everything. I take everything very seriously. And I'm not interested in comfort so much at all as I am in depth of experience. And with my writing, um, I think it's a kind of entry point into that ecstasy of connection. I'm seeking to connect with other people who experience, who love to experience life that way. Intellectually though, um, and this is not yet something I'm actually doing physically, just intellectually, I realize that the work is being deeply open to absolutely, to everyone, everything, as much as I can, rather than just uh, that specific kind of consciousness that I am still so starved for, just from that loneliness as a child, I think. Yeah, so people in my stories you know, they're, they're looking for a place to belong. They're looking for a place. They're looking for that home, that feeling of home. And I'm sure that's where that comes from. Uh, artistically and shamanically, there is this delicious overlap, which really surprised me when I first fell into psychedelic medicine. Um, I've talked about it a little bit here, but I, uh, you know, I went to ayahuasca on my knees because my life was a complete wreck and I didn't know what else to do. I had no other options. I was ready to die. I was dying and I, it was home, you know, and I've said somewhere in my writing that we are as isolated as we believe and that sense of home is the same. Like you can open up to it anytime, anywhere, uh, on a conference floor surrounded by very businessy people um, walking down the sidewalk. And uh, it's extraordinary the connections that happen when we can do that. And and of course, you know, there are phases where I feel like I'm in living meditation and I just effortlessly connect and feel in flow with everyone and everything around me. And then, you know, there's other times when I have blocks or I'm shutting down, I'm I notice that I'm trying to protect my energy, uh, which is always the the dance of the uh, I gotta hate that fucking word, but I, of the sensitive person, you know, an empath is someone with terrible boundaries, and you can let too much in and just get um, you. It can just you can feel overexposed. Uh, rambling answer. These are, <laughs> it's, it's very, uh, it's interesting to turn this on myself. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much at peace with being an introvert, but I do recognize that sometimes I can put myself, I should put myself out there more. Like I'll, I'll avoid eye contact on the sidewalk. Da 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 da. I notice there's part of me that doesn't want to engage to toot with too many people because then you're sort of having to commit. It feels like you might have to commit to more, I don't know, friendships. And I know this sounds terrible, but there's only so much room that we have for quality friendships, you know? And so it's tricky to, it feels as if it might be tricky to be open, really open-hearted and holding space to deeply connect with everyone you encounter while also maintaining Healthy equilibrium is someone who needs and really loves a substantial amount of time alone, or if not alone exactly, um, time staring at the wall uh, in the house with other people who like don't need you to 
energetically feed them. There's kind of a magnetic thing that happens in friendships, right? There's the people where you just, you're immediately, you you give each other energy and it's exciting. And then there's others where they're wanting you to entertain them. And maybe not even entertain, but like feed and tend and nurture and notice them. And that can just, uh, just suck you dry. When I was younger, I've always been fascinated by <laughs> really dramatic, intense people. I love people like that. People's drama, da 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 da. Um, but there's definitely some energy vampirism that can happen. And I have I've learned to recognize that energy immediately. And I I definitely emotionally slam the door on that. I'm curious if there's a way I could meet it with more love while still having a very clear boundary. You know, because if you're also uh, a friendly introvert, it can be confusing for people. You're like, like, oh, let's be friends. And you're like, I can't have any more friends right now. <laughs> but artistically, what obsesses me is connection, existing in flow, like really experiencing flow with all of reality. I love that. Um, and my my new stuff goes into that as well. Your biggest role model. Uh, my biggest role model is Jim Harrison, the novelist. He died a few years ago. He is the he was the author of Legends of the Fall, which was one of my favorite movies before I'd even read his writing. And then I realized that I also loved uh, the screenplay Wolf, which he wrote. He's incredible, an incredible writer. Gets inside the heads of women and men. So beautifully, he was also a poet and uh, a dedicated meditator. Loved the woods, loved nature, loved cooking. Just deeply enjoyed pleasure. He he was very um, he was very he seemed to be very present for enjoying his life. If that makes sense, like he was just alive to it. The pleasures of having his skin and having air run through the hairs of your scalp and how wonderful food and sex is. And he just, I read somewhere he was a man deeply at peace with his id, which I think comes with a lot of, which can come with a lot of meditation. And yeah, I just absolutely adore his stuff. And I, um, Dalva, his book Dalva is one of my favorite books. I I could, I always struggle picking like my favorite book for a long time. It was Lolita because that was the novel that made me want to become a writer. It made me realize that I was a writer, but Dalva, Dalva blows my mind. D-A-L-V-A. I cannot recommend it enough. And she's a little bit of a hero to me as well. Um, Anyway, funnily enough, when we moved to Tucson, I was reading Dalva and did not realize that parts of it took place in Tucson. And it was one of those, those incredible experiences where the book you're reading unfolds into the place where you also physically are and you're not expecting it. And I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but it was ecstatic. And it's also a fantastic book. Uh, you should definitely buy it right now while you're listening to this. And um, this is a little strange. And I I feel particularly strange recording this now, talking to myself out loud. <laughs> while we were living in Tucson, my dad actually had a stroke. And I went home to help take care of him. And uh, when things were a little bit better, more stable, I came back. And one of the first things we did because I felt really ghosted and weird, you know, my father's mortality. 
I was in my 20s, it just, uh, my whole family was shell-shocked. So I was in a weird headspace and it was hard because they were back in Kansas and I, I had to leave. You know, my life was in Arizona. So one of the first things Andrew took me to do, he was, then we were just dating. We weren't actually married, but he took me to a, a cactus nursery, B&B Cactus Nursery in Tucson. And I was wandering around really distracted, just like deeply communing with these little baby cacti like a fucking weirdo pre-plant medicine stuff, you know, it all makes more sense now, but, and all of a sudden, uh, I was, I was looking at this one little guy and this crazy kind of froggy voice was like, Hey, (laughs) I turned and there was fucking Jim Harrison sitting on a stump. And the thing about him, he had lost one of his eyes in an accident when he was young in the woods with a girl. And he So he had this one, I don't know what you call it, like this eye sort of kind of a milky eye aimed in the other direction. And he had a dog with him who also had one blue eye. And I am super fucking shy. And I was like not really on planet Earth. So I jumped. I was like, ah, you know. And I realized um, too late, like, oh my God, that's my literary hero. You know, I, I feel like I I just like glanced away. And the thing uh, about him, you know, he was into the woods and nature and spent a lot of time with wild animals and he just melted away. He was just gone. Uh, and, you know, probably for the best, they say you shouldn't meet your heroes. And I was, I was in such a weird headspace and I would have had nothing to say anyway, just would have like, oh my God, you're so amazing. But I, I, I treasure that, you know, like I remember seeing him and <laughs> how simple and perfect he was just sitting on this stump. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about having shamanic journeys and meditation and I definitely reach out to him now. Yeah. My biggest role model, Jim Harrison. Oh, and another thing on him. He, not saying anyone's ever perfect, right? Like, when you read about him, it's clear there was some complications in his marriage, like everybody's marriage. But he loved his wife. And he died not long after. Uh, They had a long marriage. They had children. I really admire that. Artists who uphold these commitments, you know, um, I'll talk about that more in another question, but I love that. I have this question. um, Talk to us about your most recent project. Do you remember your original goal for it? So this is a little tricky because I'm still uh, actively drafting my new thing. Um, My original goal, it's funny, it came in a dream, an aspect of it. Uh, so it wasn't so much a goal as I was compelled to capture this feeling that I had. Uh, I have dreams sometimes where I'm not in them at all. They're, it's almost like watching a movie. It's another character um, from within their own mind, you know, as they're experiencing whatever they're experiencing, having conversations, walking around. I don't remember uh, if they're in color or not, but I definitely will wake up feeling as if I've lived another life. And uh, definitely scenes in my books will come from those places. Uh, Sometimes I'll actually, I'll go to bed and bring whatever I'm working on to mind, like right before I fall asleep try not to like obsess on it, but just like think about it, whatever the question or thing I'm struggling with is. And sometimes in the morning, especially if you're writing really consistently first thing when you wake up, it just, it's there. Whatever you need is there. Um, But yeah, the goal for this new one was really just uh, trying to create that same experience, which takes me to my next question. I find there are generally two kinds of artists 
Those who begin with the end in mind and their whole process is about trying to reach that perfect original vision, basically trying to carve away everything which is not that. And a second type, those who might start out in that place, but really what they're actually compelled by throughout the process, like the thing that keeps them coming back day after day, year after year, is wanting to find out what will happen next. As an artist, which interests you more? And so here's the reason for the question that I wrote, obviously. I definitely start out with like whatever germ or idea and that obsesses me for a while. But then even though I plot things out, like actually very thoroughly, stuff surprises you while you're writing. Characters appear, side stories, all this kind of stuff. And dialogue, who knows? Like it just, you know, you sort of, you disappear. You're for lack of a better word, you're channeling it when you're really in flow. And I, I, I love to find out what will happen next. And that, that's what brings me back to the page. Yeah. If everything, if absolutely everything was planned and mapped out and you had to stay within those lines, like really tightly within the lines, that would be less interesting, but you know, uh, that never happens. You know, like, um, there's always the, those moments, those beautiful little gifts. You don't even remember having written it. And then later you're editing and you're like, oh shit, uh, who knows where it comes from? But I love that. Are there any mindsets, routines, and or philosophies that have helped you to achieve your best work? So this is a, I have a couple. I have three. One, I'll just start with a super simple one. I always try to write a little bit every day before work. Even if it's like, I just open the document and I move a comma around. Definitely doesn't always happen, but there's something about doing things every day. I think it's easier than doing things a little bit here and there. Um, I try to be kind to myself and not totally freak out if some time goes by and I just can't, you know, but the dailiness. Uh, When I was younger, I definitely tried to get four hours in every day. But if you're not a professional artist, that's really, really hard. And I don't even have kids, you know. Um, So just trying to open the document, at least open the document every day. And my willpower is much better in the morning. I know some people are late night writers. After work, I, I don't write. I've never been one who can. Sometimes I can edit. Okay. That's not true. Uh, if I have an espresso and I'm alone, um, I might start writing, but it's pretty rare. In this phase of my life, I write only in the mornings. Um, okay. So then thing two, this is more recent, actually. Um, I'm part of a women's circle and we read the four agreements a while ago and I thought I'd read it before. It definitely, I I have never read it. It's incredible. There's a reason it's like this cult thing. If you haven't read it or you think you've read it and you're not sure, you probably haven't read it. You should read it. It's at your public library. It's very, very short. And um, it's basically these four agreements to make with yourself. And they just, they change your entire life life. They change, they rearrange the furniture in your mind and your soul. And one of them is to be impeccable with your word. This is the first agreement. And I'm a very honest person. It's just easier. I don't ever lie. If I say I'm going to do something, I absolutely will do it. Da, 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 da. So at first pass, I saw that and I was like, oh yeah, whatever. That's easy. But then you read it in part. This is the part that blew my mind. Part of being impeccable with your word is also how you speak to yourself. Noticing that throughout the day, like when you start to talk shit to yourself or saying things to yourself that you would never say to someone else. I realized, um, yeah, I was not being impeccable with the way I was speaking to myself in my head and just kind of noticing, bringing that back, you know, bringing it back to the breath or whatever. Uh, was very, very helpful. And, you know, it, it becomes kind of a habit of mind after a while. That's more recent, but that, that's been very helpful. And another one, this is the third thing, 
this is kind of a long explanation. So I work for a company where we supply international British and American schools with bulk container shipments of their materials. Really random niche gig that I actually got through my freelance writing many moons ago. All that aside, we get to travel quite often, which is both grueling and a major gift, and I love it. Years ago, we were at a conference in Malaysia, and uh, Richard Keegan was speaking, who is great. It's uh, K-E-G-A-N. And he was presenting on the ways that we self-sabotage without, we self-sabotage our our greatest desires without realizing it. And he has this whole method that walks you through it. You make, you get out a piece of paper and you make four columns. And I'm not going to remember this precisely. Uh, You write down your goal and you could do anything, right? It could be related to work. It could be related to relationships, to a personal project, whatever you're struggling with. That's in column one. And then in the second column, you write down your fears around it. So his example, I'll never forget this. It was a guy who was not in like ideal health because he was an older dude. And he wouldn't take his medicine because in his mind, old only old men took their medicine. But because he wasn't taking his medicine, he was making himself sick. The very thing he was afraid of. And this kind of stuff always seems obvious. Like when you figure it out, you figure out what you're doing to self-sabotage. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you need a little, you need a little flashlight, right? Into your mind. And so, so in the second column, you're making a list of all your fears, um, what it is that's in your way of achieving whatever the goal is. And then, uh, I actually don't remember (laughs) the third column, but uh, somewhere in there, right? Like you figure out, you just notice like, okay, this is the thing that I'm doing to get in my own way. So what I was working on at the time, I'm trying to remember what it was that helped me figure out what I was doing. I I have uh, all my life, there was a subconscious tension in my mind between being a serious artist and a good person, a good partner. Because um, culturally, we it, this is a little bit better now, what with Me Too and all those sorts of movements. But growing up, at least, artists were supposed to be monsters and completely selfish, totally self-absorbed. And if you were like a devoted mother as well or a good partner, you were the one that got chewed up. And I'm sure some of this also came from my own family. My parents are amazing and they're both very much givers. They're like giving trees, human giving trees. And and that terrified me uh, just seeing how they were, they have been devoured by society in some ways. And I think that's something that they've worked on, you know, like they take pleasure a little bit more now maybe. Anyway, um, so I, there was part of me that didn't think you could also be a faithful, kind wife and be a serious artist. Like it had to be one or the other. And around the time we got married, I was for the first time starting to have some traction, some success as an artist. I received all these arts residencies I had an agent, I got a little bit of money, uh, and I, Andrew and I were engaged. And I behaved very badly. And then I decided I was going to devote myself completely to our marriage instead. Um, Because I couldn't, I was doing all this subconsciously, right? You know, and you're on residency and your heroes are telling you like, don't get married, don't have kids, because then you won't, you'll just get eaten up, you know? Very well-meaning advice. I don't know what people say now, because I haven't been on residency in a minute. So uh, yeah, then I had a couple years where it was 
relationship first and my art sort of as an afterthought. And, you know, you you can kind of hide that way. It's hard. It's terrifying and exhausting to just grind and grind and grind. Although now I guess I've traveled towards the goal of being connection, you know, rather than trying to find financial freedom through my art. That's a lot to ask of something that makes you happy just in and of itself, you know, and there's a danger in getting externally motivated. But yeah, anyway, so recognizing that I was sabotaging both things by living with this kind of false paradigm was a total eye-opener. And I made a list of artists that I really admired who also were married, you know, um, Don DeLillo, Jim Harrison, Robert Thurman. Let me look this up, actually. Tana French, Paul and Julia Child, George Saunders, Barbara Kingsolver. You notice most of these are men, I think, for the reasons I'm talking about. But hopefully uh, I can also be one that's a little different. Yeah, so those, those things help me. What is your typical working routine like? So on an ideal day, I wake up, I feed the cats and our plants, I meditate, sometimes with a little hape, I have an espresso and I write. I work from home, so at the latest by 9 a.m. I'm in my inbox, sometimes earlier because my clients are around the world. Breakfast is usually a massive green smoothie, um, like a cup of fruit at most. I think people eat way too much fruit, mostly just veggies. It looks like it looks like pond sludge. And I'll have some kind of carb. Um, I make teff bread a lot lately. That's teff, like um, what they have in the Ethiopian bread. It's this super grain. Love it. So I have that for like carbs. And then I, maybe I'll have some eggs. Or I might uh, saute some cabbage with my eggs. <laughs> Or I'll have oatmeal. I love gigantic breakfasts. And then, um, you know, working. Usually around lunch, I go to the gym. Then I do my inbox again. I aim to have around eight cups of veggies a day, about four for breakfast and another four for lunch. Uh, I usually have a kind of a late lunch, maybe some roast veggies and another healthy carb like squash or polenta or whatever. Um, maybe some kimchi and sauerkraut in there. Dinner, my husband is an amazing cook. So whatever he's making, I I don't eat. Oh, I'm such a I'm such a snowflake. I don't eat wheat and I don't eat cow dairy because I am allergic to those things, which um incidentally means I do eat pretty clean most of the time. So funny. Uh it sucks because I I love to try everything. I actually wept when I found out my allergies. I was sure he would leave me, but actually he's become much healthier along with me. Um, yeah, so he cooks something incredible and I do the dishes. That's my job. And we might go for a walk. Love to do long walks. Lately we've been rucking. <laughs> I will talk about that more in a future episode, but basically if you wear, um, you start out with a 10th of your body weight and you work up or or don't to a third of your body weight max and you wear it in a backpack um you know you pat it with some towels you want to keep the weights high and close to your spine as close to your spine as possible and the idea is to do it with really excellent posture not to be all bent over and stuff and it it's with the idea being that when you're older you're still going to be able to hike and stuff, you know, because you've your body's going to decline about ten percent every decade. So they say. So Dr. Peter Atia says in his new book, Outlive, by really training for strength and endurance and um, really good cardio health as well. Now, if you decline, say ten percent every decade, as you most certainly are going to do, you'll still be very functionally fit, and you can extend your health span. Uh, 
yeah, so anyway, we'll, we'll go for a long walk lately. It's been with weights in their backpacks. Then we come home um, and we watch, we do watch TV and I'll rub his feet again because he spent all this time cooking us an amazing meal. Um, I am interested to start drawing more in the evenings instead of watching TV, which will be hard because that's also our cuddle time, you know? Um, I'll read before bed, which is usually between 11 and 1 a.m. It's kind of a normal day, obviously. No kids. Uh, while we've been stateside, I also co-facilitate a weekly woman's fire, and I, I sit for a psychiatrist friend who runs ketamine sessions. So we'll put people into like a, a light meditation, and then I sit and I meditate with them while they're in their journey space, which I absolutely love doing. During the conference season, though, we're overseas a lot, doing the conferences, visiting schools. I'm also doing my inbox and having meetings and all this stuff. And that's why I fall so far behind on podcasting. Uh, I can barely even also write. Sometimes just have to totally stop like half the year. Um, you know, you can't do everything well at the same time. You can't, you can't actually juggle things. You know, you sort of have to pick what you're doing well. Every day it's kind of choosing. Like maybe today I'm going to be a really great employee and maybe so I'm not as dedicated as a wife or an artist that day or that hour. This year though, I will say when I'm overseas, I'm going to record on my phone, hopefully find artists in all the places we'll be traveling and I will keep podcasting from the road. It looks like I will go to a conference in Dubai, which I'm excited about. And then there's some in Bangkok and Laos, and then I'm visiting some more schools in the Middle East. So that will be an amazing adventure. And I'm excited and apprehensive because, man, I also just want to have a lot more time with the cats and the plants and writing and talking to you guys. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how things go. If you could relive one day of your life, what day would it be? So we were hiking in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and there was a path. It's not there now, but you could hike up through these trees to these watts at the top of this mountain. Or, or it was like this big hill, uh, but it was very steep. And we were the only ones on this trail. And it was, I think it was actually originally like a pilgrimage trail for these monks. And we went through kind of this overgrown mid jungle temple, which I think I did record that already. I definitely recorded that already in evening's kingdom. They talk about a, uh, in the cloud Abbey that was a little bit ex inspired by this experience. Um, and we, we climbed up to this watt and it was just incredible. I love, I love Thailand. There's such an energy there, you know, everywhere you go, it's, it's just this, enmeshing of the sacred and the mundane little family domestic temples everywhere people offering incense to deities and ancestors and it's just very interwoven with waking life i feel a big connection to the nagas and that feels very at home to me so you know we hike up through these trees to these watts and then here's the part that i just loved. We ran back down through the trees. I don't know why we just started running. We were laughing like little kids. And there were these locusts that sounded like bells ringing. Uh, and it was a long way down. I mean, like we ran like a couple hours just laughing and sweating. And then at the bottom, we found um, some great street food, of course, because it was Thailand. And we, we had a foot rub somewhere for five bucks. Just Perfect, perfect day. And I'm not sure it was that exact same day, but on that same trip, I had some reviews coming in for a book I'd written, and I got a few where I felt really seen. I My first novel was called Evening's Land, which totally different from Evening's Kingdom. I'm just a dork. Uh, but in that, I was working through 
the loss of my brother, the protagonist loses her best friend to an overdose. And yeah, it was, it was, um, it's a heavy story. And some people were complaining about trigger warnings. I think art should bring us to pause. I understand sometimes you might not want to, but you know, anyway, I, there were a couple people where they really felt met by the story and understood and, and, and found it helpful. Um, so yeah, um, that was a really good day. Your five favorite smells, sounds, or sensations. Sitting on the porch, listening to cicadas on a summer night. I love that. That's one. Uh, the sound of lawnmowers. Two. Uh, three. This is a, like a, a specific conglomeration here. I love the hush of an art museum on a hot summer afternoon. I, I get um, ASMR tingles. You know, they're like goosebumps inside my brain going down my spine with certain kinds of art or a well-shot movie or a poem. Um, for some reason, contemporary art specifically. I don't usually have that from reading fiction, although I do sometimes. I think it's from something about um, a pause, like kind of having negative space around an experience. I just full body shivers. And there's something about the air conditioning, like that, um, that amniotic hush. <laughs> Amazing. Four, I love hiking or being on a porch as a big storm comes in the way that the air changes and everything gets expectant. I love that. Uh, you know, your hair raising on the back of your neck, the color of the sky, the thickness of the air. <laughs> Five, I absolutely love the sound of cats purring and uh, <laughs> eating wet food. Clearly I am their minion. What would you like to experience for the first time again? I don't know that I would want to experience things for the first time again so much as I'd like to go back into an original experience, knowing what I already know, just to be inside the original experience and savor it, knowing what's going to go down. <laughs> but I guess that's what memories are for. Any guilty pleasures? I love beautiful things. Uh, when I was really young, I used to go antiquing with my grandmother, my Nana, and I've always loved just daydreaming about the lives of objects, like old things with long, complicated stories. So uh, Etsy and eBay are terrible, terrible places for me. I will plink around and add things to my cart. And I don't buy them usually because I cannot afford my taste, but I love, love that. And in Charleston, antiques are super expensive. So there's not really... I haven't found flea markets so much here, like the kind that I love. Um, and, you know, eBay and whatever is no substitute for it because what I really like is um, actually seeing the things in three-dimensional space and the weird encounters you have with people in places like that. So fun. Um, good luck charms. I have a, a Zuni fetish of a little cougar that I got in New Mexico and I have him, <laughs> I have him on my altar and I feed him cornmeal. And sometimes I will also put him on my laptop when I'm writing. And I have a tattoo on my back that I got in Thailand for luck and protection. It's of an albino eel. It's called a sakyant. And the albino eel also helps you to, he helps me to escape just to, slip right out of it. And I have found that to be the case. If you were to give a talk for 20 minutes about a passion of yours that few people know you have, what would it be about? 
So I am a health nut, as you have no doubt gathered. I think it's really fun to just feel great. <laughs> and in all my wellness wanderings, uh, I have learned a lot about shit. And I get really excited about it because um, people, I, women especially in the South are so uncomfortable talking about it, which is terrible because then they don't know what normal is. And if you're not having, all right, I'm literally going to talk about poop for a while. If you're not having easy, smooth, heavy sinkers, like after every meal, something's wrong. You know, like you should hardly have to wipe. Um, they should sink. They should have smooth edges like snakes, you know, just that's why I say the eight cups of vegetables. We really are supposed to have that many vegetables. If you saute them or have them in smoothies, it's a lot easier to get that kind of bulk. Um, also, it's important to buy organic because our food is covered in poison, grown in poison if it's not organic. And if you're having them at the quantity you're supposed to, you really want to be mindful what all you're ingesting. So yeah, I would talk about the importance of getting that all dialed in. You know, um, there's all kinds of great ways you can check your gut health with accuracy. Um, you know, people want to, so many people just want to take like a probiotic and call it good. But, you know, if it's not refrigerated, it's dead. It's better ideally to be eating your probiotics like kimchi and sauerkraut and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, a, a a targeted probiotic, if you're actively testing your gut biome, like with a company like Sun Genomics, that's S-U-N-G-E-N-O-M-I-C-S, it's, it's pretty interesting how you can improve that and you feel unbelievably good. I used to think having that afternoon crash and the sugar cravings and all that was normal. It's not. You know, you don't have to live like that. It improves the way that you think, the way that you feel, your emotions, your relationships. So much of what we think is our personality is actually related to whatever's living inside us. You know, we're driven by our cravings. Um, actually, I think my anxiety was driven by um, dysbiosis much more than I ever realized because for the most part, that's all gone. Now I, you know, I still have kind of the habit of being shy in certain situations, but I can, it's, it's a habit. It's something I can push through unless I'm really tired or I feel overexposed, which is on me. Like meditating, if I'm meditating regularly, pretty good. So anyway, I would definitely talk about that. So yeah. You should, I, I think you, I think everybody should turn around and check out their leavings, their scat, just for a little um, report card on how you're doing. And if you are not in the habit of having eight cups of vegetables a day, it's a lot easier than you would think. It's just a habit. If you can do it with breakfast and lunch, then you're golden for dinner. If you have anything more, like that's great, you know? And, um, Oh my gosh, another one more thing. Beans are your friend. And when you get your stuff all dialed in, you actually do not have gas, like at all. I will very happily eat a whole can of beans. No problems at all. Beans are full of fiber and fat and you should get organic ones because they're also another one of these things. It's just laden with pesticides. But yeah, anyway, poop is what I would talk about if I were given a platform. Next question. You might need to close your eyes for a second on this one. This is a side note to myself. I need to work on my transitions between these questions. The question is, what question are you asking with your life? So I, um, I mentioned, I, I think I mentioned, I'm internally motivated, not externally. So in one sense, I'm measuring myself against my heroes, Jim Harrison, Anne Rice, Dennis Johnson, Don DeLillo. I've always felt such kinship with their pages, a, a sense of belonging that I didn't feel elsewhere when I was growing up. And so 
while my work is also an adventure and wanting to find out what will happen next, I am also pushing myself to see if I can be as good, if I can, if I can be the hero of my own life and exist uh, in constellation with these people that I admire so much. Uh, because I want to know if I can by my own measure. But I think I'm also, my life is also an exploration of how brave can I be? How open and vulnerable can I let myself be? I, I spent the last few years learning to love without any fear of loss. Just absolutely, yes, I love you so much. I'm not afraid to be happy and passionate and just totally dorkily love my life. I do still shut down and get overwhelmed and, and, and shy sometimes, you know, but I, I'm working on that, you know, conferences and in airports and, and those places where there's uh, a lot of strange energy. Maybe it's most important of all to connect in those spaces where everybody's feeling weird and lost and confused and they're looking for emotional security, which can only ever come from within. So I think with my life, I'm seeking to connect, to stay connected, stay open, and utterly unafraid. I think, I think that's enough for now. Uh, this has been very helpful for me. So thank you for listening. This is Paula Schmidt. For more free stories, interviews, and meditations, please visit eveningskingdom.com. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, of course, please do leave five stars and a review would be very helpful. Um, yeah, please stay tuned. More from me is just down the road. <laughs>